At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. We, we know we're a good team, and good teams have have bad games and today was one of those I mean it's not an excuse but um, we still got one more game and we got to play well there and get some confidence going but we know we're a good group and um, hopefully we can go far this year following the Penguins latest defeat a 5-1 loss to the Edmonton Oilers Tuesday night at home winger Kasperi Kapanen provided that assessment sure good teams do have bad games but do good teams play badly for a month at a time and right before the playoffs? Since March 23rd, the Penguins have won only six times in 17 games. Of those six wins, they have just one in regulation against another playoff-bound team. That was a 4-0 win over the Bruins on the 21st. At this rate, in terms of going far, like Kapanen said, when the Penguins play either the Rangers or Panthers in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, I might consider forcing a fifth game going deeper than I expected. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. Tim Benz with you. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Baseball is here, and Bet Rivers has a special parlay offer for you every Saturday throughout the season. Place a three-leg same-game parlay of at least $25, and you will earn a $10 free bet. With same-game parlays, you can combine player props and game bets to make your perfect combo. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Claim your offer on the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Where the Penguins and hockey let me down last night, baseball picked me up. Bet against Mitch Keller Tuesday. That's the best baseball bet going. 
I said the Pirates would lose. I liked the Brewers scoring first and winning. The Pirates team under and the total under didn't hold. That was a surprise because Woodruff was pitching for Milwaukee. But with Keller on the mound, the opposite is indeed possible. How about a bet against the bad teams parlay today? Bet against the Diamondbacks, Orioles, and Reds. That means betting on the Dodgers, Yankees, and Padres. It pays off at plus 550. Hockey burned me last night. Edmonton and Connor McDavid did their part on my Oilers-Penguins bets. McDavid scored. The Oilers won. I told you they would. Crosby didn't score on my parlay with McDavid, though. That was a hell of a goal by McDavid, by the way. Oilers won, like I said. Uh, That was a plus-money payout, but the over didn't hit because the Pens only got one. Maybe if the Pens' video judges wouldn't have been so good, the Oilers could have gotten one or two more, then it wouldn't have been a problem. But... The under held at six instead of six and a half. Vegas let me down against Dallas, but since they got a loser point, they're not eliminated. But the team that really screwed me was Minnesota. Thanks a lot, Flurry. The Wild had a 10-game unbeaten streak, and the Coyotes had a 10-game winless streak, and the Wild still lost 5-3. That totally screwed up a parlay of mine and an individual side bet of mine, too. If I'm going to try to bounce back tonight hockey-wise, I'll go with the desperation teams, teams that need points. Dallas over Arizona, minus 400, and Vegas over Chicago, minus 205. Those games face off at the same time, too, as the battle for the last playoff spot rages on there. Throw the Kings down against the Kraken, too, if you want to get a price more in your favor on a parlay. But back to the Penguins. Penguins allowed 42 shots to the Oilers. They gave away the puck 10 times. As I mentioned, they actually allowed seven goals, but two were disallowed via replay. If only the Penn skaters were as good as the video review crew. Here's Mike Sullivan after the loss. Well, I mean, obviously, we'd, we'd like to feel better about our game. You know, and it's it's hard to feel good about your game unless you get results. And, uh, you know, we've been sporadic with them lately. But for me, I still believe in this group. I believe we have what it takes. We've shown an ability to be a really good hockey team and, and that's what we've got to capture. And so we'll fight every day to make sure we do that. What it takes to do what exactly? Because there is nothing about this Penguins team right now that makes me believe that they can do anything but put up token resistance in the first round of the playoffs against either Florida or New York. The Penguins are becoming exactly who they were predicted to be at the start of the year, a club that in the best case scenario would scratch its way into the playoffs as a wild card or barely in in like a tie-breaking fashion as the third seed in the Metro or something like that. The franchise got off to that ridiculous early season run where they jumped from 5-6-4 to 27-10-5. Since then, they've sputtered. The numbers have returned to the mean. This squad is now who we thought that they would be, a once great collection of players that extended a second chapter of success a few years beyond what was anticipated, but now they have regressed to the middle. A team good enough to put seven goals up against Detroit whenever it wants, a team that looks feeble whenever facing an opponent worthy of the postseason. That's what happens when you have Brock McGinn on your second line and Casey DeSmith and Louis Domingue as your goalies going into the playoffs. Guys that have overachieved to get as far as they have, now they're over-leveraged and miscast on the NHL level with the Penguins. It's not that different from the last time the Penguins stumbled their way into the playoffs as the eighth seed in 2015 against the Rangers. The roster then wasn't very good and had just enough top-end talent to get them through the regular season. 
That playoff series ended in five games. This year's first round may end in three if the NHL decides to implement a mercy rule. An idea that I would fully endorse, by the way. Defenseman Marcus Pedersen on the team struggles. Yeah, I mean, we got to find it, I think. Um, we're not happy losing. I think it's as plain as that. we got to um, dig in here the last game and then find that confidence like you're talking about, play, play towards it and work for each other. So, um, I mean, we're not happy with losing. That lack of confidence appears to be bleeding over to the fan base. I know sellouts at PPG Paints Arena aren't a lock anymore, but only 17804 showed up for the much-anticipated McDavid versus Crosby showdown. Many NHL teams would be thrilled with the late-season Tuesday night interconference crowd that's at 97% capacity, but there was a time when that building wouldn't have had a ticket available for weeks in advance of that game. And for a hockey city that professes itself to be one of the best in America, getting to see Crosby McDavid just once a year normally should be a draw unto itself, even if the team is struggling. Pittsburgh fans will get one more chance to see this team before the regular season ends. That's Friday at home against the Blue Jackets. Given that Stanley Cup heroes Chris Letang, Evgeny Malkin, and Brian Rust are all free agents this summer, it may be the last time for many of those fans to get a chance to see him play. So hopefully as many as possible turn out for the game. The way things are going right now, I wouldn't expect too long of a playoff run if you're waiting for another chance. We'll talk more Penguins with Mike Pursuta tomorrow when he joins us from Vegas where he's out covering the draft for DVE. As for the NFL draft, some updated numbers. Steelers' specific odds to draft Kenny Pickett plus 500, to draft Malik Willis plus 225. The Steelers have the shortest odds of any team to draft Willis. Playing position of the Steelers' first drafted player. Offense is minus 125. Defense is minus 104. So essentially they're saying it's quarterback or anybody on defense. Uh, and to echo that, wide receivers plus 500. Defensive line plus 300. Quarterback favored at minus 112. DB at plus 500. Offensive line at plus 600. If they go Devin Lloyd, you could get a huge payout at plus 2,000 if that happens. Speaking of the draft, today marks our final installment of pre-draft interviews and previews with Matt Williamson from the Steeler Nation radio outlet, also from Trib Live with me, where you can read his film breakdowns once a week. You can hear him once a week here in the Pittsburgh CityCast during the year as well. And he's been kind enough to do these breakdowns with me, one per day this week leading up to the draft. And now for our conclusion, we go to the defensive backs and a little look behind the curtain here. Matt and I taped up our series in increments, and we taped up our defensive back preview like right before they signed back Terrell Edmonds. So I called Matt back and I said, do you want to retape what you said? Because he likes Dax Hill. At least he said that at the time, that he wanted Dax Hill to be his call for the Steelers to draft in the first round, the safety out of Michigan. And when I asked him, hey, we can redo it, or I can tweak it, or I can sort of massage it if you don't want to. He said, no, don't, go ahead. Go right ahead. Dax Hill's my guy. He's sticking with Dax Hill as the player he thinks the Steelers will draft in round one, even though they kept Terrell Edmonds on board as the other safety next to Minka Fitzpatrick. And Matt explains why, not only why he's sticking with Hill, but why he's a fan of this safety class all of a sudden here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. I've been spending so much time on these safeties. 
I now love the safety class and forget about Kyle Hamilton folks. I know that they've flirted with them and they're interested in, Maybe they would make a Paul Amalu like trade up. I don't think that's true. I don't think he gets out of the top 12 and that gets too expensive in a Bush like manner to go from 20 to Hamilton. I, I can't believe that he's even being looked at as right. going outside of the top 10, Matt, but he is like, if you look at the over under for Hamilton right now, it's at 10 and a half. Is that what I'm looking at right now? Wow. 10 and a half. I've seen him at nine and a half or 10 and a half to me. Like I've seen some people suggest that he's the best single player in the draft. I used to think that, and now I think he's second or third, but because he didn't run well, and that's probably stupid by me. He's probably number one. I thought Derwin James was the best safety in that class, and he went like 16th. I thought he was the best defensive player in that draft, sorry, and he Mm. went like 16th. I don't know that Hamilton can get past Washington at 11, so that that line is dead on. I I think that's his floor. I definitely can't get past Houston a second time at 13. Oh, so back to, you know, a little more relevant stuff. Forget about Hamilton, folks. If this is just a coincidence that we're recording this last, we did not plan this. But if I had to put a buck down of who the Steelers first round pick is going to be at number 20, it would be Dax Hill of Michigan. And I'd be thrilled with it. Wow. All right. So that's a name that's crept up late. You know, we've talked about our favorites. You know, you talked about Willis. You talked about Williams from Alabama, the wide receiver. I talked about Davis. You talked about Davis. Mm-hmm. So these are favorite kind of guys, but Hill's when there you talk me. about you talk about likely or potential of being there, you're thinking Hill maybe more than anybody else from Michigan? Yes. Those names we, you just threw out there, I don't think will be there. If they are, that'd be swell if Williams, Davis, or Willis was there. Great. I think Hill has a very good chance to be there. And I bet they love him, to be very honest with you. Uh, um, here's my take. First of all, we have to have a big picture conversation on the Steeler defense. Like as long as I and you and I can remember, they've had a free and they've had a strong, you know, that Minka's the free and they've had a, a strong who's a more in the box Edmonds type, you know. The or they've Palomalu had a strong type. and it's Palomalu and the free is Hope and Ryan Clark. Right, right, right. They've been very different styles of safeties. But there's a new defensive coordinator. And there's a new defensive assistant in Flores that might be like, this is our opportunity to get interchangeable at the safety spot and get more of a coverage player here. Um, Many people have talked about the honey badger, Matthew, and Hill is much more like that. Hill did most of his work as a slot corner for Michigan, except he's a six foot version of the honey badger and runs a four, three. And is a blitzer, can play deep middle, can play too deep. Some have even looked at Hill and thought, what if we just lined him up as an outside corner? And I think he could do that. Like when the Ravens come to town, he's going to be on Andrews, like extensively, you know. So he's immensely talented. He's a phenomenal athlete, a five-star recruit that tested like that. And the, the film backs it up. And, you know, he would be your slot corner you could even still bring back Edmonds and still have him do the strong safety stuff. But I think Hill is just a defensive back. And a chess piece on the board that maybe they don't right. have right now. Right. You know, if you're playing the Saints, he's covering Kamara. You know, if you're playing the Panthers, he's covering McCaffrey. If it's the Chiefs, he gets Kelsey, you know, but he also blitzes and will throw his body around the run game. I, I, I love him. I think he's a great player. So a line that I imagine that you'd like then is over under one and a half safeties in the first round, huh? Love it. I mean, Hamilton's a lock. 
I think Hill's a lock. I mean, he might get past 20 if by chance one of those other names is there. But there's a chance there's three. I mean, I think Lewis Seen, it might be worth the 20. Yeah, let's talk well. about him because we've yeah. spent a lot of time the last day talking about Georgia players on defense. I've heard it floated that if Lewis Seen plays on any other defense in the SEC even, let, let alone college football, but if he's on any other defense in the NCAA, he is looked upon as a much higher draft prospect than he is now. And I'm looking at him as a low first round rated player, but he's like a top 15 guy, but people just don't talk about him because everybody up front for Georgia gets so much attention. Yeah. And this goes for the Georgia linebackers too. They're going to have three of them drafted in the first two days. They certainly benefited from the hard work that the D line did. I mean, it allowed scene and the linebackers to run and hit a lot, but a couple things with him. First of all, he's big. I mean, he's over 6'2", and he's an old-school safety hitter. I mean, he is a tempo setter. He's a downhill player, but he can certainly play too high. He, there's snaps of him playing, you know, the single-high center field as well. He ran a four three seven. I mean, athletically, there's no concerns at all. Maybe a little more stiffness than Hill. He's not as fluid or have the cornerback hips that seem that – that Hill does, but he is a thumper. And what I like about him maybe more than all these things, and all those things are wonderful, several different sources told me after the combine that his interview was like historically good, like is one of the best they've ever seen from a football intelligence standpoint, understanding route concepts, aligning his defensive teammates, versatility, smarts for the game. What about I, I consider him at 20, to be honest with you. You would? I'd consider it, yeah. Yeah, the only thing I was thinking about that is, like, like to your point, that this type of player does underscore kind of the older school mentality of Mink is the free and he's the strong, though, right? A little bit more so than Hill, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, what about Brisker from Penn State? Second he's also more, more strong than, than free. Uh, I'd be thrilled if he finds it. This, my problem with the safety class is I'm liking them so much. The ones I like, I don't think you're going to get to 53. I, I, I don't know that Brisker makes it. I don't know that Jalen Petrie from Baylor makes it. Uh, but Brian, Crook, Brian, Brian Cook and Nick Cross are two that might be second round considerations. I'm not sure if that's too early or not. But if they don't take one at 20, I'm worried they might miss out or not quite align. Brisker's really a player too. And he's really easy to watch and like, and he plays the game in a very Steelers like manner. I mean, and if you go and watch him realize he played with a very bad shoulder the entire year and missed some tackles because of it and things like that, but he's a tough guy. He plays a run really well, would certainly have to help the run defense. He can line up against tight ends. He's a little behind scene and Hill to me, but, Boy, he'd be he'd complete the defense. How about a cornerback? Is there a corner that does safety things kind of like how you think Hill is a safety that can do corner things? Well, let's talk about Petrie too from Baylor because okay. he's probably on the safety list, but he played like every one of his snaps in the slot. So if you some of these guys are kind of tweeners in that 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 regard, like Mike Hilton ish. Yeah, but he's a little bigger. He's more everyone's bigger, but he's he's more physical. <laughs> he yeah. can play the run more. Um, he has more 
honey badgerish, to be honest with you, makes a ton of plays, but mostly was the slot corner. So if you want to call him a safety, fine. But we were just talking about freeze and strongs. I think there's freeze strongs. And then there's these hybrid types that are as much corner as they are um, safety. It's a good corner class though. I, I don't know the corner is going to be in play in the first two rounds or so. Yeah. I but, think they think they're yeah. better at corner than I do. Kind of like tackle. I feel very similar to their situation. I can see corner that. That yeah. I feel at tackle. They seem to think they have the numbers aligned that they need based on, you know, bringing in Wallace from Buffalo based on keeping Akella Witherspoon, mm-hmm. uh, allowing Hayden to, to sit out there in free agency. It's very similar, Matt, to, to how I look at their view of Moore, who they like more than I do, and Chooks, who sure. they like more than I do. That, that's how I look at their corner position. Um, I was excited. Really about well the, said. That's, that's a good analogy there, and I can see exactly what you're saying. Everybody was talking about Elam a lot more earlier in the draft process at, at corner from Florida, 6'2", about 190, 195, mm-hmm. yeah. um, as a corner that might be there at 20. There are a bunch of other guys like Sauce Gardner and Stingley and Booth. Those two and, are gone, yeah. McDuffie might th- be there. McCreary might be there. But I, I don't know. I've had my head around Elam for so long. Uh, I almost kind of elevate him on that board. What do you think? I think Gardner and Stingley stand alone and are potentially going to be two of the best corners in the league in a year or two. McDuffie at 20 is very interesting to me as, and he's my number three. I bet Tomlin loves this guy, you know, I mean, exceptional zone awareness, slot and outside capabilities, tough as the day is long, but just doesn't quite look the part, you know, shorter arms, a little bit shorter, um, Booth is really intriguing too. Booth has all the traits, but is a one-year starter at Clemson and kind of like Keith Miller hasn't been able to work out at all because of a, 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 a or some kind of core muscle Sport injury journey of some sort. Yeah, or something like yeah. That. yeah. But he's over six feet long. I mean, he's like the definition of a press man corner. Um, Elam's closer to Booth in that way. Very toolsy, long, fast. He would be my fifth one but I don't dislike him I don't know that I would I wouldn't take him at 20 but I don't think he gets out of the first round and then another guy that's really interesting to me again I wouldn't take it 20 is the second Washington corner Kyler Gordon and everyone talked about him before the combine like he was going to set records in Indianapolis that he was one of the most freaky athletes in college football and he didn't but from what I've been told no one questions this guy's athleticism. So he hasn't spent much time working on his 40 and whatnot. Like he has a really extensive dance and karate background, like unbelievable body control and explosiveness. And his tape is wow from an athletic standpoint. And he'll throw his body around too. All right, Matt. Those how are the about top the, guys. How about the linebackers? Because Good they class. keep chasing forever the ghost of what was supposed to be Ryan Shazier's career. And it's still a story that I think a lot of people in Pittsburgh have a hard time coming to grips with about how good he could have been before his spinal injury and how good of a person we all know him to be and that he didn't get to fulfill his career. And now the Steelers are trying to figure out still how to fill that void. There are two players that I love at the inside linebacker position and all the resources that the Steelers have thrown at this position 
I don't know if folks have like fatigue of talking about it, why these two players have not been talked about a little bit more, but Nicobe Dean of Georgia and Devin Lloyd from Utah, if either of those two are taken in the first round to back up Jack and Devin Bush this year and maybe replace one or either of them as the starter next year, I wouldn't hate that at all. That's not a move I would make because of all the other things we talked about. I mean, there's this other knee, and trust me, I might regret this because they, they probably won't pick up Bush's fifth-year option. If he plays like last year, he's gone, and they'll be really sad that he was a bust. And Jack, I really like the Jack pickup, but he doesn't practice on Wednesdays from what I understand, and he was not a first-round pick because of a chronic knee. I mean, so – and their contract indicates that it's really a one-year deal with an option. If they don't love them, they can move on real easily. So I might regret these words. They might be without Bush or Jack next year and have nothing at the position because that's, that's very much in the cards. It's a very strong possibility. I just think with their other needs, linebacker can't be at play, and I can't draft one in the first round or even in the second round to sit behind those two from the beginning. Well, you could also argue if one of them's so good, the other one can sit, right? Like, yeah, yeah I know, but there's nothing against not the, the, the notion of, of not at the expense of Hill or Scene or a wide out. You know what I mean? And, and I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I also, to, to make your point even stronger, one of my favorite areas of this draft is the day two linebackers. There's some okay. really good ones, it's a so rich area to go fishing. So you're saying somebody like, um, I don't know. Uh, Muma, Muma, Harris, from what, yeah. Chanel, Anderson, Tyndall. What, what about you know, Christian yeah. Harris? Because he's sort of a dividing point or dividing line in a lot of people's opinions. Like, very good college player, but some people mm-hmm. think he might not translate to the pros as much. I liked him at Alabama. Oh, yeah. What's, what's your view? Very strong second rounder, great athleticism. Smaller, though. I mean... I don't think this past year is going to change their opinion of what they look for at the linebacker position in terms of speed and size. Um, he's more the smaller run and hit guys. I mean, he's not going to be you know, mixed up with Earl Holmes or LeVon Kirkland or those type of dudes. I think they're just going to protect them better and they want space players. And that's exactly what Harris is very successful on a great defense. I mean, again, I think he's, right in the middle of the second round type of prospect. And again, there's about eight names on day two that I think will be really intriguing and two, the two, including the two Georgia guys. Is it Wisconsin's kid? Is, is he, the he's really one? interesting. Leo yeah. Chanel is that Leo it? Chanel. I mean, he, I just mentioned, you know, Earl Holmes and Kirkland. He's that he's six, two and a half, two fifty. Rocked up big muscles, nasty as can be, downhill, blow up fullbacks and guards in the hole. But he ran a four, five, three. <laughs> I mean, like he makes plays sideline to sideline. He can play in reverse. He's nasty as can be. Wisconsin through and through. They'll know everything about him. I'm sure the Watts love this guy. He's a perfect example to me of a day two edition that is really intriguing. What about the two Oklahoma kids, Benito and Asamoah? Benito's a true edge, too. He's a real bendy pass rusher type. Um, Asamoah's good, um, small. I mean, just a shade over six foot, about two and a quarter. Not a block taker honor type, but makes a ton of plays in space. Really good in 
coverage. I'd say he's a third rounder. Do they have a three, four outside linebacker written all over them that they can't avoid picking somewhere like in the third round? The edge class to me is the best of any position, including Hutchinson and Walker and the guys at the top and it's deep. So maybe they will, but I keep thinking about that. Who's that fourth or fifth round inevitable stealer pass rusher type edge guy. I don't have a great name for you. And I'm sitting here scanning the list, trying to sound smart. And I just (laughs) don't have one that I love there. And it worries me. It's kind of like your tackle linebacker conversation Yeah. that besides the top two, is it good enough? Probably no. not. <laughs> I don't know. even know if it's good beyond the first one, to be frank with you. Right, right, right. I hear you. I still like to see Highsmith maybe as a number three as opposed to a, a number mm-hmm. two or have another rotational guy that can ease in and have Highsmith be more of a fill in for both guys. Have more quality. I got a couple numbers for you or a couple names for you. I just think they'll go too early. Okay. Yeah, D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky. Uh, Miami of Ohio is a receiver turned outside linebacker, Dominique Robinson. Um, I, a guy that I love is Josh Pascal from Kentucky that is big and physical and nasty as can be. I just think these guys are going to go like second, third round, and I don't think the Seals are shopping for edge pass rushers that early. Matt, thanks for everything. This was great all week. I'm glad you could do it again. I got a lot out of it. Hopefully you enjoyed it as well, and we'll do it again next year. Yeah, it was a blast. All right, so my thanks to Matt Williamson. That was really fun doing this all year. Hopefully we'll do it again for a third straight season next year. Uh, The over-under on Daxton Hill, pick number 28 and a half. Uh, Another one of the safeties that he brought up for the Steelers potentially was the guy from Georgia, Lewis Seen. He's at 38 and a half. Kyle Hamilton at 12 and a half. Yeah, so that dipped even from the time when we taped it up. I would have to take the under on Hamilton. I can't believe he's that high up. My gosh, if he gets in that range, the Steelers might want to consider pulling a Palomalu and trading up to get him. Okay, when we come back, more draft talk with Joe Rudder of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, who covers the Steelers. That's next in 30 seconds here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. Bet River Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21 gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. All right, back in the Pittsburgh CityCast, a few more positional over unders, position in the draft order, I mean. Chris Alavi, the wide receiver from Ohio State, is at 16 right now. If it's over that, Uh, I would consider him for the Steelers at 20. He's my favorite receiver on the board. I mentioned that earlier in the week. Desmond Ritter over under 29 and a half. I'm going to go over there. I think he's the last pick in the first round, maybe with the Lions or somebody who trades in for the Lions. Who knows, maybe with the Titans. Devin Lloyd over under 19 and a half. A lot of people have him ticketed to the Patriots. If that's the case, then he's slightly over. Devontae Wyatt, 29 and a half. If he doesn't go to the Steelers at 20, yeah, he might hang around for a bit, and he might be there at the tail end of the first round. Drake London, the over-under on him, 11 and a half. That seems relatively consistent. Second or third wide receiver taking. Garrett Wilson, largely the first at nine and a half. If it's not Jamison Williams, he's going at 11 and a half. And Jahan Dotson out of Penn State, 
30 and a half. I might go over there, uh, although he might be the sixth wide receiver when you look at that over-under of five and a half for wide receivers in the first round. Jordan Davis, my guy, 14 and a half. I'm going to go under because I think the Ravens don't let him get by at 14. I think that's why he's right there on that cut line. Elam, who I talked about with uh, Matt Williams, Sinclair Elam from Florida, 33 and a half. Basically saying he's the first or second guy taken in the second round. That makes a lot of sense to me. Kenneth Walker, 47 and a half. Does a running back stick around that long? I don't think so. I bet you he goes before that a little bit earlier in the second round. Kenny Pickett, quarterback from Pitt at 16 and a half. I think he goes before that. I really do think he's destined for Carolina. I've bought into that narrative. Malik Willis, strange kind of 15 and a half number. You look at that and you say, boy, that feels high. But then at the same time, the Steelers are projected to get him in a lot of cases at 20. Uh, If he doesn't go to Detroit with pick two, as we discussed earlier in the week, if he doesn't go instead of Pickett to the Panthers at number six, then yeah, I could see him hanging around to the middle of the first round. Matt Corral over 35 and a half. Boy, that's a tough one because he could be the third quarterback who sneaks in late in the first round. And if he doesn't, who knows how long he's on the board. That's a tough one. Nicobe Dean over under 31 and a half. Something tells me he goes in the first round. I'm going to go under there. Sky Moore, the local kid from Pittsburgh, 35 and a half. Uh, I think he probably is at an under there because I think he'll be an early second round wide receiver after a lot of teams don't go receiver in the first round. Trevor Penning at 15 and a half. Trent McDuffie at 16 and a half. I'll go over on Penning, under on McDuffie. Traylon Burks, 23 and a half. That feels about right to me for him. And Tyler Linderbaum, uh, something tells me he goes a little bit under the 28 and a half number that he's got right there. Okay, Joe Rudder, Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Uh, I talked to him in advance of the draft as well. We'll have a big breakdown with Mike Pursuta tomorrow, but uh, if you want more of a Pittsburgh-specific angle, here's what Joe says about what the Steelers might be thinking. And Joe starts by talking about Kevin Colbert entering his last draft as Steelers general manager. Well, I think he wants to set this team you know, up to be as on solid footing as possible before he hands over the reins to somebody else. And you know, he, he mentioned a couple weeks ago that they felt they had starters or starter-capable players at every position but one, and he included the specialist in there, and that was strong safety. So now they agree to Terrell Edmonds on a one-year deal for pretty much team-friendly $2.5 million. So now he's got 25 out of 25 heading into the draft, and now he can just use that to, to build up the defensive line, I would imagine, to bring some younger talent in there, maybe get a safety, definitely get a receiver maybe too. Um, so I think he's, you know, his goal and his plan was to you know, leave this as well-stocked as he possibly could, and I think, you know, in his opinion, he's probably done that. I think that depends, Joe, on what, how we define starter and how it relates to the third wide receiver. Because I don't know how set up they are for third wide receiver. Do you? Well, he didn't. You know, he was going by 11 on each side, 22. Then you have your oh, no, kicker, I, punter. I, I know. Well, I, I know. But, yeah. like, you know, who's, who's the 11th if it's not a third wide receiver on offense? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think yeah. I think that might be them massaging their own state of affairs as it relates to the wide receiver position because, you know, they've got three wide receivers out there most of the time anyway, right? Yeah, they do. And that is that is a glaring, you know, weakness right now. You know, look at last year and how deep they were once Juju Smith-Schuster came back. 
you know, they felt they had as much as depth as anybody. Now you've lost three guys in the off season, and you're really staring at you know two guys that have you know any kind of NFL experience, and you know the rest are just guys that you know had spent last year on the practice squad or you know made, made very little contribution. So that, that's something they're going to have to you know really really get in the draft. And I would imagine if not Thursday, then Friday. They will have gotten at least one player, and I wouldn't be surprised if they got another on the, on the third day, Saturday. So give me the positions then, Joe. And I know they don't always do this. In fact, they claim that they never do this. But if they were to draft <laughs> in terms of need, which position needs to be addressed the most? Is it wide receiver? Is it safety, even though Edmonds is there? Is it depth on the D-line? What do you think? I think depth on the D-line. I think if one of those defensive lineman happens to be there from Georgia. They try to get him um, at, at number 20. Uh, you know, for all the talk and the evaluation of the quarterbacks, I don't see that as being a need this year. Um, you know, I, I could see safety or cornerback receiver for sure. Um, you know, I don't think they need, need really a pass rusher this year. But, yeah, I think they definitely need to get somebody younger, stronger, and ready to contribute on the defensive line just because of the age of the starters and the situation with Stephon Tewitt. The other defensive lineman, aside from Davis, interesting to hear you say that they might be interested in either one of those. I, I keep hearing that he's kind of fallen off the board a little bit and maybe not a scheme fit. Some people were worried about the arrest that he had uh, when he was, and I think the charges were eventually dropped or it was just a misdemeanor or something like that when he was at Georgia. But uh, some have said that's become a red flag for them. Are you still hearing that he might be in the mix? Yeah, why? Well, I would think he would be. I, you, know, I, you know, I don't know exactly... I can't recall off the top of my head what the charges were. And yeah, I'm sure the Steelers will investigate that, do their due diligence, and they spend time down at the uh, here down at the Georgia Pro Day. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had dinner with some of those guys and got to know them a little better. But um, yeah, it's something that uh, you know, and they could have brought some of them in, into the facility for you know, we don't know all the top 30 visits they had, so they could have been part of that as well. But I'm sure the Steelers have investigated it. And, you know, if they're satisfied with it, I think, yeah, I think he would be in play because I think that what he can do, you know, he might not be the, you know, the uh, run stopper, the, you know, the gap controller that Davis is, but he, you know, he can be a pretty potent uh, defensive lineman he could have for the next four or five years at least. The two down thing doesn't scare me with Davis, does it with you? Not really. I, I don't think so. And, and, I, but I, and I think if that's what you need, to, to, if, you, if that's what you need, if, you're, if you feel the rest of your defense is in place, then even if he is a two-down guy, why be concerned about that? If that makes your team that much better and, you know, you're able to be a good two-down team, it's where you're to the point where you're letting T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward, you know, and Alex Highsmith go loose on third down, then I think you put yourself in a good spot, you know, whether Jordan Davis is on the field or not. So I, I, that wouldn't bother me in the, in the least. Yeah, I think if he's better on first and second down, you're getting to third down a lot more quickly and more in an advantageous position. The way things were going last year, he was they were constantly with two down guys on the field because their guys who were two down guys kept staying on the field because they were yielding so many yards on the ground. You know, so I think yeah. that kind of helps itself if you get a guy out there like that. And the other thing is, he can be a bigger Javon Hargrave, I think. You know, I think you can use him in sub packages and push the pocket and pass situations yeah i don't know why you couldn't either and you know when um you know when when uh, cam hayward got hurt i think that was javon hargate's rookie year he they kicked him out some as well and there have been injuries out there where he was able to you know to be more than just a prototypical nose tackle and i don't see why 
Jordan Davis can't be that type of player as well. Um, you know, that's, you know, you need to stop the run. That's a, that's a huge thing. You know, Art Rooney has mentioned that, you know, after you know, being last in the league against it, that's something they definitely have to fix. And, it, you know, that, that guy's sitting there waiting to be taken. I don't know why you would pass on him. Sounds to me, Joe, like you are of the opinion that if Willis or Pickett are on the board, they are going to have the gumption to pass on either or both of them. Is that the case? Well, I, you know, I don't know because I don't know if Willis – I think one of those two will be gone. I, I think Willis might be the guy that they like more than anybody else. And if they feel that he's the guy that they could plug in you know, for the next half decade or longer, you know, maybe they do take him. I, I'm, not as, I'm not as sold on him, but – I would think that if you're really trying to look at making this team better for this season, then you go and you, you address that defense and you try to get a guy that can stop the run. I've heard a lot of safety names over the last four or five days when people became of the opinion that they weren't going to get a guy signed and then they signed Edmonds. Uh, should we forget about those guys? Are they looking at safety later in the draft now? Or do you think if uh, you know, Dax Hill is still there, somebody's seen these guys that have kind of emerged in recent days as real conversation points uh, when it didn't look like they were going to get anybody? Have they maybe fallen in love with these guys to the point that they might take a safety anyway, even though Edmonds is coming back for a season? Yeah, I mean, it's only one year, and, you know, you want to build that position up again, you know, especially if you, your intent is to sign Minka Fitzpatrick long-term here during training camp. Then, yeah, I don't, I think safety is definitely in play, and, you, you know, you want to be have as much uh, – you know, depth there as possible. So, yeah, I would see that. I mean, I think it lessens the need to get one in the first round. But, you know, second day, yeah, I can surely see them, you know, going out and getting the safety. Last thing for you, Joe, what do you think it'll be like if, in fact, Kenny Pickett is on the board when they just when they are up at 20? Like, just, just, what do you think those 15 minutes will be like on Twitter and in our lives if they really have the guts to pull the trigger one way or the other? I think there'd be a lot of people disappointed, um, hoping they would take Kenny Pickett. I just don't see it happening. Uh, you know, maybe I'm, you know, way off base here, but I just I don't see that happening. I don't think they need a Kenny Pickett type of player. Um, you know, I think that uh, they 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 should gladly look elsewhere. But maybe I'm in the minority there, and I think people would be disappointed because I if you don't address the defense, then I or or receiver, then I think they're they're not making themselves better for 2022. Is that because you think that they're going to get Baker Mayfield? <laughs> well, you know they, they they can get every they can get him and every other you know then bring Sam Darnold in too and anybody else, you know let's have ten quarterbacks on the roster. Let's make quarterback. Let let's, make, let's make the quarterback battle in training camp as fun and interesting as humanly possible. If they're going back to Latrobe for the first time in two years, let's give everybody a show, right? Exactly, and heck, bring Ben out of retirement while you're at it, and you know. <laughs> All right, so my thanks to Joe Rudder. That was taped up, by the way, at the Rivers Casino when I was filling in for Mark Madden. We appreciate him checking in, and we look forward to tomorrow's conversation with Mike Pursuta from Vegas as he's out there with DVE for the draft. Plenty of draft discussion, Pirates and Penguins with Mike tomorrow here in the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com.